Well, hello. Welcome back to Clarity. This is our one-year journey as a church where we're trying to get a clearer picture, a bigger vision of Jesus and who he is. Uh, I'm Garland, and joined with me today is Brian Pope. He is our director of global outreach here at Fellowship Bible Church, and uh, he is a good friend and somebody who uh, travels the world, getting to be a part of what uh, Jesus is doing in this world. And so, uh, yeah, I got to spend years working alongside Pope, and uh, we, we're glad to have him in today to the Clarity Podcast. And what we want to do uh, as we as we kind of introduce our topic is we as, you know, Bible Belt, American, Western Christians in the 21st century, uh, at least that's that's what where fellowship sits in Northwest Arkansas, we, we, we sort of have a skewed view of how the church operates, if you think about it. We, we have a we have religious freedom in our country. We have uh, the ability to take our Bibles kind of anywhere we want to. When we gather as the church, we gather in uh, a large building with you know lots and lots of chairs and space for kids, and uh, we can have we can do stuff in that building whenever we want. And this COVID nineteen situation, we sit right here in the middle of it. Uh, this has totally flipped that paradigm, and for a lot of us, it's. It's strange. It's catching us off guard. We're having to adjust. And when we were reflecting on this, we were, we were processing and thinking the early church, when the early church would gather in the first century, uh, we oftentimes will bring our paradigm to the letters of Paul or the book of Acts. And that's a, that's a big misstep because a lot of the churches, let's take the church in Colossae. The church in Colossae, our letter to the Colossians, that is Paul writing to a church that is likely maybe a dozen people meeting in uh, likely the, the front room of a Roman open-air house, and that would be where this church was gathering in this, uh, this village called Colossae. Uh, it's, we might say it's a church scattered, and when we look at church history, a lot of the experience of the church has been... Uh, not able to gather like we do in America and more like the experience that we're having now. You know, families uh, trying to follow Jesus and love Jesus uh, in, a, in a culture we can't gather together and uh, where we're trying to live for Jesus in our neighborhoods and with our families and with our community. And so what we want to do is we look historically, we see that picture, but also even when we look out globally now in our world, that is the experience of of millions of Christians. And so we wanted you just to help us help us to think and understand and empathize with what the church globally right now is experiencing as we are now having a small taste of what it looks like to not be able to gather as the church. So but what what does the kind of the experience of, of many Christians in our world look like right now? Yeah, you know, go and I was you know, we've been doing this for several weeks and what I mean by doing this for several weeks is it's kind of this new paradigm of church for us where we've been, you know, for our family, we've kind of been gathering together in the living room and we've, you know, turned on uh, the church service and kind of watched it together and participated together in a completely different, you know, format than we're used to. And for some reason, just this last Sunday uh, for Easter, it really struck me and it really almost got me emotional. It was like we were sitting there and I don't know why I didn't think of this before, but it, my mind really started to to go to our global workers and was just realizing like, man, this is what most of our global workers actually experience every week. Right. And matter of fact, I just typed up a quick email 
just to explain that to them and just to say, hey, thank you so much. Um, and we're still not not even putting us on the same level as them, but but realizing what is so abnormal for us is is what they have signed up to do uh, every week of the year. Uh, and, and but for them, there's the you know, the increased danger of, you know, for some of the places that we, that we're going to, uh, of being caught or quote unquote found out, um, of having a service. And so for our people who, who really don't know what, what we're doing, what fellowship does, uh, globally, basically the easiest way to explain is we're really trying to take the gospel where it's not. And so for many of those places, we're not allowed to talk about where we're going. Uh, the goal is to see a church, a self-supporting reproducing church that's nationally run planted there uh and so those areas uh can often be dangerous it can be really difficult Uh, for our people what it usually means is if they were to be caught or found out uh, by the government or the people there they would probably most likely uh, be kicked out of the country which would be could be really devastating especially depending on you know how long that they've been there and how deep those relationships are right. but it could be extremely dangerous uh, for the nationals uh, that they've been that they've been ministering to and so just what they experience uh, on a weekly basis is it or, or what we've been experiencing recently of just gathering together in a home uh, trying to pull together a, a, a church service uh, within our family is really the normative for most of the world. Mm-hmm. And so to, to give you an example, I was visiting one of our global teams uh, one time and they, they chose that they were going to do church not on Sundays uh, because we don't think it needs to fall on a specific day, but they were doing church on Fridays. And the reason that they chose uh, Fridays uh, was because that's when all the Muslims would go into the mosque and they found it is the safest time for them uh, not to be found out of, of what's going on. Hey, let's do it on the day that we know that all of our neighbors are in a place of worship. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, they lived at a place where the mosque was literally like right across the street. And so what they had to do is they actually called it tea time. They never called it church. And so just they, they got it within their habit because uh, they didn't want things to slip in front of uh, the people and the friends and the neighbors that they were working with. And so they would just say, hey, you coming to tea time on Friday and all this. And then the people who are part of that service actually had to, they arranged different times. They didn't have everybody going through the town at the same time to mm-hmm. show up at the person's house. Uh, so they kind of arranged like every 10 minutes, every 15 minutes, uh, different people would, uh, just kind of show up. And then once the whole team was gathered, uh, basically what they would do is it's kind of similar to, to what we've seen, but they would, they might choose a couple of worship videos that they would find on YouTube or something like that and, and play, uh, the worship and kind of sing along. And then they'd have somebody who's brought together a message and just share. And then they would take a uh, prayer request and people would talk about the struggles that they're going through and, and those types of things. And to be honest, it's a really, really touching mm-hmm. personal, like I was, I was really honored, mm-hmm. uh, part of it. Another story I'd like to share, there's there's somebody, a part of our congregation, the, the fellowship congregation, that he's from China, and he became a follower of Christ while over here in the States, and he still lives here in the States, and 
you know, part of that, part of the the process with that is you always get to the point that you want to share it with your with your family. It, it took them a long time to kind of build up the courage of, hey, I'm going to tell my parents this. I have no idea what the reaction mm-hmm. is going to be. And so he, he called, I think it was his mom that he first talked to and let his mom know that he was a follower of Christ. And he was shocked because she didn't have this huge reaction. She was like, okay, that's, that's nice. <laughs> right. That's great. And he was like, he told his parents, he was like, man, I thought y'all would be kind of <laughs> more against this, more that. And she goes, no. And she began to tell him about a family friend that they had who was, uh, basically he called her an aunt, a very, very close family friend. He goes, you know, she's, a uh, she's been a Christian for 25 years and he had no idea mm. and he saw her on a regular basis. And so he ended up calling her and began to talk to her and goes, man, I had no idea that you were a follower of Christ. And the reason was, is because they did have to live out their lives kind of in secret. And she had been part of this underground church, uh, for 25 years mm-hmm. and they'd have to move from location to location. And basically what they do is they they go to somebody's house or apartment until they were kind of fi- found out, and then they'd move it to another location. But here, just if you know, to put it in our context, if you just try to picture in your mind who's a close family friend like that you see on a regular basis, who is living out their faith, and you just have no idea mm-hmm. because because they just live in an environment that is mm-hmm. so so dangerous. And just to even focus on that that country for a little bit because most most persecution is what you find out most persecution is local that there's not most governments aren't out there trying to to stamp out these things there's a few examples of like saudi arabia china north korea those but most persecution is local is that man i don't want to be found out by my friends and neighbors Mm -hmm. those are the ones that you're going to fear uh something happening and so but there are a few places you know, for instance, we talked about China that, you know, I think now it's it's a ridiculous amount, but over 100 million uh, face detection cameras across the country, every bus station, every every street light, all, every store that you go into, they're able to track the movements uh, of people. The phone that they use, China... It, China went from, uh, they're not just a cashless society. They skipped over having credit cards. And so everything straight is digital. Uh, straight digital. Yeah. <laughs> everything's on the phone. All the purchases that you make is on the phone. They're able to track the movement of everybody. They're able to track every conversation that is happening. Uh, and so you can just see like through their phones, they'll be able to locate uh, a large gathering of, of people right. uh, together. And, and, and so the believers have to become very creative in, right. in how they do. And the amazing thing is, and they're willing to do it. Mm-hmm. They are willing to do it. So that, first of all, that is, thank you. That, that gives us a picture of these are brothers and sisters following the same Messiah, the same King and Lord uh, that we do. And yet their experience on the ground, we might say is very, very different. So you, you said they've, People have gotten creative in what in in how they're able to navigate this this craziness, and we're we've we've had to scramble together to try to get creative in our much more mild context here in Northwest Arkansas. 
So paint paint for us. What does that create? What what does some of that? What has some of that creativity look like? What have you learned? What have we learned from our global workers uh, that we might be able to apply even in our limited context here? Like, g- give us a a picture of. Uh, just some of the the ways that our global workers have been adaptive and creative to still herald the gospel, even though they're in some of these environments. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that, that I'd like to bring out is that since we're all like this is the first time that we've had an experience where I feel like almost the entire globe is walking through right. walking through the same thing. So if if you're even talking about like presently today, as we've reached out to every global worker. It's weird because we're all playing for the first time ever. It almost seems like we're all playing through the same playbook. Right. And what I mean by that is they're trying to be respectful of what the government has asked them to do. They're trying to self-quarantine or, or live according to those things. Uh, but at the same time, they're going, man, how do we how do we do ministry in this mm-hmm. context? And so in a strange way, it, it's it's weird and it's refreshing that everybody is trying to swap notes and just go, man, what do we how do we do ministry? Everybody's kind of sick of Zoom right now. Everybody's tired Everybody's, of doing video, yeah. FaceTime. Yeah. Yeah. And I've only heard of, there was, there's one location. We have some global workers in, in a European country. And I can, I can say it's a safe place in Germany, uh, which is a pretty advanced you know, society. And they, they have a, a lot of young people on their team. And, it, and in some ways, it's actually been a benefit to them because they're ministering to a younger generation. They're ministering to people that are, you know, digital natives. And so people were looking for stuff to do. And so when they reached out to the people that they're ministering to again and just saying, Hey, we talked before about doing this study. Would you be interested in doing it? Like people are saying like, yeah, because they they're, just looking want something to- <laughs> <laughs> so they're looking for anything to do. Right. So for a couple of them, you know, it's, uh, yeah, but that's not the case uh, for for most of them. Uh, but yeah, our global workers like, and, and it depends on you know what context they're in. But but really, what what they do on a regular basis? First, they have to spend you know two years just learning the language. Like we we just want them to really learn uh, the language. And, and matter of fact, a, a survey was done years ago from a very large missions organization and they surveyed hundreds of their global workers and they said, Hey, if a missionary or global worker is going to succeed or fail, just rank the most important things. And the number one thing that was ranked there, uh, was that they had to know the, the language right. and be able to speak it well, mm-hmm. not to be able to communicate, but they call it, you have to know it on the heart level. You have mm-hmm. to be able to speak, you know, into people's emotions and thoughts and fears and all those things. And so that's one thing that a lot of people just don't understand is like, man, if our global workers do nothing for the first two years, but just learn the language, it's just so key and so important. And then what they do is, it's kind of similar to here, but maybe a more direct way, but they just go out and uh, we use a biblical term. uh, You know, they try to find people of peace, which basically we just say it is like, man, who are who are people interested in in talking about spiritual things? Mm-hmm. They're, they're taught to drop little phrases and see how people respond. And if people respond, um, uh, kind of just even acknowledging that there's a higher power, that there's a God, even if they believe in a different faith, they they continue deeper into that uh, into that uh, relationship. But it, it's it's kind of hard to put in the context, the context that we can't replicate, even though we're doing ministry similar now, 
and uh, in this context is you're fearful of almost every conversation and encounter that you right, have. Right. We, we just can't, we, we can't, can't come close. Yeah. <laughs> Northwest Arkansas is not that. Yeah. And so uh, that at any time at the drop of a hat, we've had, we've had it happen before, you know, somebody that we had in, in a pretty, pretty dangerous area, the police actually came to him and said, Hey, you've been found out. We'll protect you for 48 hours. Uh, but you need to, to leave. And so just imagine living your life, raising your kids in a place and you've got 48 hours, mm -hmm. uh, to get out of there. Uh, and it's because, you know, be, because we're taught like as soon as somebody, uh, leans in spiritually, we, we take them further and that's what they were doing, uh, with this person until they got scared and talked to another person mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. The reality, that's the reality of a lot of our global workers. So, so what would, since, since we're definitely, our context is very different than that. And it's one of the reasons we wanted to do this podcast was so that our people here, as we're walking through this clarity season, uh, that we might be able to, we might say, think and love compassionately about not only uh, our global workers that are part of our church uh, that are scattered out into the world, but also the church globally and people that uh, that have grown up in environments like this. So what what would you say to, uh, you know, the, the person listening to this that goes to one of our congregations here in Northwest Arkansas, they're, uh, they're, they're for the first time experiencing some of the anxiety and the fear of just being not able to gather and just at, in a mild level, uh, what, what some of our global brothers and sisters are experiencing what would you say would be something you'd advise us to to begin to adopt or how can we think compassionately or think globally and be reminded that this this is a lot of the experience of uh, a lot of our friends around the world yeah one of the things to be honest going that i get really excited about what's going on not just with our global workers but uh with, with the church as a whole, every believer that I know uh, would say that prayer is important, like every believer, but but how disciplined are we really? Uh, right. And so it, it, it's kind of it's kind of strange of like an event that almost cuts you off from being able to do anything, but you have this desire to do something. And so what's left? And it seems like prayer. Mm -hmm. is what's left and it's you know for people who don't know fellowship is in the planning process and thinking about next year and what the elders the the direction that the elders have said and, and one of the things that they put down before this virus hit there's any thought of what's going on is that they wanted to see a revival uh happen within northwest arkansas starting in northwest arkansas and spread. And I just think it's amazing just to think about that and just go, man, how much more that I'm hearing about prayer happening. Mm -hmm. and just even seeing our global workers, like they, they're calling together so many online, so many Zoom, so many gatherings uh, of prayer, the people who are stateside and getting ready to go, all these groups getting together to pray for the world, like the world has become now the thing that we're praying for, not just right. uh, certain areas. And so for that is just, uh, it's just incredible to see, and I don't want to forget about that. And so, just just prayer, I think, is just always um, it should be the root of everything that we do. And I always remember listening to Tommy Nelson, 
And it, it, it shocked me in a quote, but it always stuck in me that he said, uh, prayer doesn't cause revival. Prayer is revival. That That's when good. God, when God's people begin to gather to pray, like revival is already happening. And so mm-hmm. you're actually starting, starting to see that. And then more specifically, you know, it's funny. We were, we were talking with one of our global workers. They're in Africa. They're in a very difficult very difficult place. And we're checking in on all of them, you know, seeing how they're doing. And this couple who's been in the field for years, like just this year alone in the place that they're at in Africa, they've, there's just been this just swarm of locusts, like, um, like, like biblical, like biblical. locusts. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, like you could probably go on YouTube and find it. A lot of people don't know, but like destroying i mean just crops and crops and crops like there's videos that you just can't even see through you know that's been going on in their country and then um, they live in a, a desert area and in three hours one day they got three years worth of rain which just caused all this flooding and and by the way fellowship bible just to you the body uh, you, you probably don't realize, like through through your giving, we were able to to give money to them as they ministered uh, to people dealing with these floods, whose homes were destroyed. We gave them tarps and other supplies. Uh, and then right after the flooding, what happens after flooding is you have all this standing water, and so uh, yeah. a mosquito outbreak happened, which caused a malaria and right. dengue fever outbreak uh, to happen. And so all of this has happened within this year, and then the coronavirus hit. Plus, yeah, plus coronavirus, yeah. <laughs> so by the time that it got to that, they're just like, eh, this is what we deal with. Right. And for them, and, and so to answer your question of like, and that's one of the things that I love about my job, because I, I live in the first world, and it's so easy to get caught up in first world problems. But I, as we talk to our global workers, it's just a daily reminding of, I think we wake up every day and we try to to figure out how not to suffer or maybe suffering doesn't even come into our context. Right. And, and they're like, man, how do we be a light in the middle of this suffering? Mm -hmm. And as, and so I think this gives us an opportunity of, man, how do we be a light in the middle of this suffering? Because everybody is suffering at a certain level. Uh, And so we have another, there's, you know, the college team was going to go visit, Fellowships College team was going to go visit some global workers that we have in a Middle Eastern country that is just on complete lockdown. And, you know, the global workers that we're going to see there, uh, they're literally feeding refugee families that are getting no food Mm -hmm. right now. Uh, As a matter of fact, what we're trying to do is divert the money that they raised for that to go uh, specifically to those global workers to be able to buy food. Um, for those families. And so again, I wanted to thank the body of Fellowship Bible Church. Like if you gave towards that college trip, um, just know that your money is now being used uh, to feed families, babies, kids uh, who are, uh, man, can't get anything. Right. right. Uh, and, and so it's just, it's just looking for those opportunities and just going, man, how can we be a light in the middle in the midst of suffering. And that's where our global workers, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of, they wake up every day with that. And now it's kind of given us the opportunity to, to ask that same question. Right. Well, as this is, this is helpful, I think to just, just kind of get our heads up a little bit as, as to what's, what the Lord is doing in and through his people all over the world. And so thank you, Pope, for just giving us a vision, help maybe helping us put different glasses on to see 
uh, some of our experience over these last few weeks and what will no doubt be several more weeks to come uh, to kind of put different glasses on maybe and how we view it. And can I just just uh, as we close here, if you we know that we have some uh, some of our global workers who have been joining us in Clarity, and they've been joining us in Clarity from all over the world. And if you find yourself somewhere, uh, partner with our church, a member of our church. Uh, listening to this, we just we just want to say thank you. You are the heroes of our church. You are uh, heroes for us. And uh, even though uh, some of you, we can't even say where you are, uh, we, we're we behind you. We pray for you. You are our heroes. And for us as a church, uh, just, to, just to recognize that God is at work in the world, and he's at work at the world even through our church. He's at work in our world right now, uh, even in this situation that seems so bleak and difficult. And uh, just the posture of living with that uh, confidence and certainty and hope, uh, especially as we're in this Eastertide season, that's one of the ideas of one of the breakthroughs of what Easter means is we're walking in new creation, even though the world is still experiencing frustration. And so uh, thank you, Pope. That is incredibly helpful. Uh, thanks for joining us on Clarity, and we're trying to get a bigger picture of Jesus for the 2020 year. 